This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. It's great to be back, and I hope you all had an amazing July 4th holiday. I loved every minute of it, every minute of it, and I especially enjoyed watching the insane hard left cry their tears about their hatred of our country. I actually did enjoy it. People like Cori Bush, who cannot stand America and wanted to make the day about reparations. Specifically, she thinks, well, about 14 trillion should be a good starting point. But technically, we owe something like 90 trillion uh, to those that we've aggrieved. We, those of us who are alive and well here in 2022, as opposed to a couple hundred years ago, Um, like the two guys behind Ben and Jerry's. By the way, they sold their company a few years ago for over $300 million, but they're still pissed off. They still hate America. They think it should be a day of a day of atonement toward the Native Americans. How about no? How about no? It's not going to be. I love how these people are their own worst enemies, making their own lives miserable, right? Instead of enjoying a beautiful day like that with the barbecue and the parade and being with the children and the sparklers and the fireworks. Choosing instead always to see the darkness, always to mire themselves in hate and grievance. Those of us living patriotic, happy, loving lives need not worry too much about these people. They're depressed. They're rageful to a degree well beyond what any of us could ever hope to cause. (laughs) Good luck to them in their aggrieved, frustrated, invariably lackluster lives. Just know that the rest of us are having a great time and we will not be doing any of the insane things you demand. There will be no day of atonement. Sorry, not really. Here at the Kelly Brunt House on the Jersey Shore, it was a great day of celebration. I hope it was for you too. We went big as become has become our tradition. And I had several moments yesterday. I surprised myself with this where my eyes actually filled with tears. And I actually kind of had a, you know, get a get a hold over myself. I was feeling emotional. Just about our country, about the incredible honor it is to be an American, how we were founded, what we stand for, what we still stand for. We've been hosting these big parties for a few years now, but only for the past two years have we been dressing in colonial costumes and really leaning into the whole founding fathers theme. So if you watch that, if you're listening to this now, that's great. But go to YouTube.com slash Megan Kelly later to see these pictures because they're awesome. Now, getting ready for the party is always so much fun. Over 100 people come, but about 20 of our friends and family actually dress up 
and they read or act in our little preamble of a play before we read the declaration. Our friends come over to our house. They try on costumes, wigs. I get it all. We have a costume party at the end of the year often. But this one, I and, and people get their own costumes. But for this one, I get the costumes because uh, it's a lot to actually ask of people to, to deal. Uh, and I have a great, great costume shop that I go to. Doug and the kids, they dress up. Doug accommodates me, tries on the outfits. We make sure they fit just right. And we laugh. We play patriotic music while people are trying on the costumes. And we just have a good time. Um, among those who participated this year and last are Allison and Tom Barklage. You guys may remember them. We brought you the story in the fall about their son, Blake Barklage, who died at age 17 suddenly of myocarditis, of, of a heart-related issue. Um, and they don't know why. There was speculation. Was it COVID? Was it the vaccine? They still don't know exactly what caused the myocarditis. But the, the family, and including their daughter Lexi, has been an example to us all in how to heal after trauma. You can go back and check that episode. We'll get you the number. But they came. And if they can find a way to smile, you know, through a time like this, it's only been a year plus since they lost their son. So can you. You can find a reason to celebrate our country, our friends, our family, the way we live. We're, we're so, so lucky to have been born here, to have the opportunities we have here. They're not perfect. We're not perfect. The country's not perfect. But it's a hell of a lot better than you're going to find anyplace else. So the day and the prep is festive and it gets you in the mood to celebrate America with your friends and your family and your love of country in your heart. So on the big day, people arrive. We kick things off with the pledge. That's always nice to say the pledge. My little guy still says it in his elementary school, and I really appreciate that. I used to say it every day growing up in school that we used to have to sing my country tis of thee and over time sort of sinks in what those words mean. And then we do this little play, as I said, about how the American rebellion got started all those years ago. What led? to the decision to declare our independence, the unrest in the 13 colonies, the anger over how unfairly the king was treating his subjects here. Doug and I write this, we put it together, and then we rewrite it year to year with the help of family and friends who add new scenes or what have you. But the point is just to remind people of why the USA came into existence and not just the littles. You know, they don't teach this stuff in school anymore. We want the littles, including our own children, to hear it. I was saying to a friend yesterday, it's like teaching manners to a child. You just got to do it over and over and over and over and over. And eventually, hopefully it sinks in. And that's how we feel about this. Hopefully these kids and others, you know, adults too, who hear it over and over and over will be, will come to remember it and internalize it in a way that is important. Um, we, we write in the play scenes that sort of show what we were trying to avoid um, in, in forming our own union, a government that was overreaching that disrespected the rights of its citizens, that interfered with the judiciary, that denied the public important rights like a trial by jury, and what the vision was for how things could be. In our little play, we had Thomas Paine there who wrote Common Sense and Inspo for the Declaration. We had Paul Revere. Doug played Thomas Jefferson and with our friend Andrew as John, John Adams enacted a little scene. Five of us got together and drafted a statement of principles. John Adams, Robert Livingston, Ben Franklin, Roger Sherman, and I, Thomas Jefferson. When they asked me to write what we were referring to as a Declaration of Independence, my first thought was that John Adams would be a much better choice. John, I said, will you do it? I will not. <laughs> Why not? Because I am obnoxious. 
also suspected and very unpopular. Then came the reading of the Declaration, which really is an inspirational document, one of the most revered in human history. If you didn't take the time yesterday to read it, go, go do it. I encourage you to go do it today. It's not that long. And it really will make you understand what people were upset about and honestly are getting upset about to this day in some ways. It is an honest acknowledgement of how man's default tends to be to put up with hard things until they get so bad he cannot. An acknowledgement that God, not government, has granted us certain unalienable rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That writes, quote, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these there are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their power, their powers from the consent of the governed. Exactly right. When we finished the reading, um, oh, I should point out that among those who read and were our honored guests were two guys you may know very well. Rich Lowry and Michael Brendan Doherty of National Review came. We invited Charles C.W. Cook, too, but he's busy on his golf cart down in Florida where he loves his little parade. Here are the three of us all dressed up and ready to go. Those guys were amazing. They kicked it off and ended uh, the reading of the declaration, respectively, and did a great job. It was super fun to have them here and to meet their families. Uh, and after we finished the reading, we broke right into America the Beautiful, as as I told you, we did the other day in church. That was that was my inspiration for that moment. And it was so great to look out at all the friends and family and hear them singing. Here's just a little bit of that. So you don't have to be a good singer <laughs> or be perfect on the words. You just have to have your heart in the right place. And ours were. I want to tell you what happened next and a side story that I hope you will appreciate. Um, I told the audience, the guests, our friends, our family, that we had a surprise plan and to go out to the front. And people didn't know what to expect. And what happened next was something that I've been working on with Abby for six months. So six months ago, I said to Abby, Abs, I want a marching band at the 4th of July party. And she said, MK, okay, but that's, that's, that's going to take a lot. That's going to be a big order. And I said, we can do this. Now, it wasn't going to be cheap, and I knew that. And honestly, you know, I make a good living, as you've probably seen in the paper. But I don't buy diamond tennis bracelets. I don't buy jewels. I don't buy fancy cars. I don't, like, 
it's not it's just not me i i don't have a closet full of jimmy chews i have a couple this is not how i choose to spend my money most of my money we save um but when something like this comes up an idea like this i this is where i want to spend this is what the money's for right like a moment like this that that we can have as a community and share together and that will bring up stirring feelings of patriotism of love of joy of just i don't know how else to say it other than just a, a deep connection to your country and and your fellow man and i don't regret one penny of what it took so a couple months went by and i said abs how's it going she said mk can't we can't be done you know, there's no marching bands like available for hire and like college bands have gone home by that time of the summer. You know, they're not still together. And uh, Abby never says, MK, it can't be done to me. I mean, like it's very, very rare. Uh, you know, I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, Abby, I know you can do this. <laughs> and because you got to know Abby, she, she will bust through brick walls to make things happen if she knows they're really, truly important to me. And before I knew it, she had assembled a band. It was a band. I won't say what school they're from because they're not like they're not supposed to have the school endorsement and they didn't have the school endorsement, but they're available available for this kind of thing. So they couldn't wear their school uniforms. So we, then we had to find them uniforms. So Abby found uniforms that I and we chose very patriotic uniforms, red, white and blue. And the amount of logistics she had to go through to make this happen, she got him a bus. They bust here. They went to the firehouse. They changed into their patriotic outfits that we got them food and pizza and drinks and so on. We got them on the bus. They were on standby. They were waiting for the queue until we finished. God bless America. They, they queued the band. You heard the, the sounds of the drum beats as they marched toward our our party. And the crowd was just slack jawed watching this performance. They did a great job. They had to learn all these patriotic songs. They were playing off of sheet music that they had, you know, sort of on their uh, instruments and they nailed it. They nailed it. Hats off to these young college kids who just made our hearts sing yesterday. Uh, I could not have been more impressed, more grateful. And I have to tell you, Abigail Finan is a star. I just love her. You know, she's my assistant, but she's also like my little sister. Um, she's the CEO of my life. Maybe she's the COO of my life. And uh, it's just an opportunity to stop and say thank you to the people who support me and help make things like this possible and help me bring these memories to you and hopefully inspire you to take a moment to think about your life and your connection with our country and what it means to you. Right. We, this whole thing turned into a connection with friends, with neighbors, with loved ones, a chance to think about America, our history here, what it means to us. And I come into this day with you renewed, happy, more settled and more certain uh, in my own love of country and my gratitude for having been born here and living right now in an in a important time with all of you. Right. We go through it all together. When I sat there, I listened to that band playing the national anthem, among other songs. I was thinking about how you, the audience on this show, my team on this show and I are out there every day on the front lines fighting for this country. That's really what we're doing. It's not just news. What we're doing together, why you tune in, you listen, you take time out of your busy days to listen and connect 
with me and the guests here is because you care too. You care. Otherwise, you, there's a million other things you could be doing, right? We're all out there fighting for the heart of our country and what we stand for, what we believe in. So I am grateful to you too. Uh, and I think it's an important mission we're all on. So on that note, uh, it is a packed news day and we're going to take a deep dive into many subjects, including where the Hunter Biden investigation stands. And I don't mean the cocaine found at the White House, or do I? Do I? We'll get into that too. Uh, plus, what does it say that President Joe Biden, as he lectures us about the importance of fatherhood, continues to refuse to acknowledge he has a seventh grandchild? Even the New York Times is taking notice, and now this is becoming a campaign issue. We'll get into it all. And we are excited to have Amala Epinobi, host of Unapologetic Live, and Federalist writer Evita Duffy Alfonso back with us. Amala, Evita, thank you so much for being here. Thank Good you. Good to be back. How was your fourth? It was great. <laughs> Mine was very uneventful. I sat in the window of my apartment just watching people put on their fireworks and eating ice cream, but I had a good time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, nowhere near as much as yours. Well, we went big, but you don't have to go big. You know, that's the beauty of the holiday. I was talking to um, my my friend Kat when I'm down here at the shore. She does my hair. And she was saying, you know, she just hung out with her family. They watched the fireworks. They spent some time together, you know, had some ice cream. Perfect. That's perfect, too. You know, it's like everybody takes it in in their own way. Um, so whatever it means to you is is awesome. You know, on this one, I just decided go big or go home. So we did it. Um, so let's kick it off with the America haters like Cori Bush. Thoughts on their message, Amala? Oh, goodness. It's it's just saddens me to see this. I remember growing up and as a young child, when July 4th came around, everybody was celebrating. We all got out our red, white and blue. We were all flying the American flag. We were having parties over these things and really taking a moment to talk about this nation's history, why it's a nation built on ideas and not a certain race or a certain gender or a certain religion or creed. And to hear that all rolled back in the name of, you know, racial justice or gender equality or reparations in order to have these conversations on a day where we should be able to sit back and, like you said, acknowledge how beautiful this country really is, how much progress we've made. It just is not the right time for it, in my opinion. And we have these conversations year round. Could we please take a moment to acknowledge that we live in a country where we're capable of just outwardly having these conversations where we as citizens can express these opinions that we disagree on, where we have the free speech right to do so? That's not going to happen on their part. And I, I don't see the 4th of July having a comeback anytime soon with the sort of rhetoric we have surrounding America at large. It's just really disheartening overall. Mm hmm. If you, you've got um, I, Representative Jamal Bowman, I, I mentioned Cori Bush, um, also Democrat, but Jamal Bowman, uh, Democrat from New York, tweets out this July 4th. We must remember that we stand on stolen land toiled by enslaved Africans and recommit ourselves to the fight for freedom, equality and justice and on and on. It went the Ben and Jerry's guys. Uh, I mentioned them, too. It's high time we recognize that the U.S. exists on stolen indigenous land and commit to returning it. Oh, really? How are we going to do that? <laughs> OK. Um, and it, it, our friend Joish, Joseph Massey, everybody loves him. He's a he's our favorite poet. He's been on the show many times. He, they tried to cancel him, but we 
revived him. We refused to let him be canceled, and he's thriving now. You should go ahead and support him online on Amazon. Um, But he tweeted out, first, you need to apologize to the millions of cows you milk without consent. Your product is colonialist misogyny in the form of an overpriced dessert. Stop feeding people cow trauma. (laughs) This is the only way forward. You have to laugh at these people. I agree. You you do have to laugh at them and they hate that, right? I mean, comedy is like their their greatest uh, enemy, right, of the left. They hate being made fun of. Uh, I like what Amala said, that this is just not the time. Um, we, we I'd like one break from the racial, from the racial justice, from the, the, the gender queer theory and the indigenous rights and every, all of the American shame narrative that we're constantly bombarded with all the time. It'd be nice if we could have one day of reprieve on the fourth, if we could come together as a country and say, Okay, despite our flaws, we're all we're all proud to be Americans. We can all unite under one thing and they can't. And I I agree that when I was younger, I remember growing up and thinking America is wonderful and stars and stripes and this is the greatest country on earth and everybody seems to agree with that. And after 2020, I had this real realization that really not everybody thinks that way. And there is a massive movement in America to tear down our founding fathers, to demonize them, to take down statues um, that we once revered. Everybody from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln is a is a sign of, of racism and imperialism um, and, and something that we need to take away. And I what I'd like to talk about is the reason why they're doing this, because we we say, oh, well, it's bad that they're America haters, American shame. They want to create uh, a, a cultural revolution like they had in China. Really, that's the reason for demonizing our founding fathers, um, that that's the way that they they change the culture, that they change our our mythos and, and what we believe in as a country. They have to tear down our heritage, our, our traditions and, and our history in order to create cultural change. And really, that's what's happening. And it makes me so sad because, like Amala said, I grew up thinking America is great. And then there was this 2020 um, disaster that happened that really made me and I think a lot of other Americans really disillusioned. I love how they pretend that, you know, had the Native Americans just been left alone here and America had never been born, uh, the United States of America, the world would be better off. Okay, really? Tell it to France. I just got back from (laughs) France uh, in 1942. I think they were really grateful for the fact that there was a United States of America and things might have gone a different way had we not been formed. And I love how we pretend that the Native Americans were living totally peacefully over here and were not, you know, committing any violence before we got here. I mean, in country after country, there have been others who have come in and conquered and taken the land. I mean, that is kind of how countries get born. It's not that we were perfect or that we can be proud of every piece of that history. But can like the, the decision to focus on that as America's legacy, on what we're about, is just so unnecessarily myopic you know, small minded. And it is, to your point, part of an agenda that they enjoy tearing down America. They don't believe in the idea of America. And Amala, it's actually become a thing now where like you should be ashamed if you celebrate July 4th. The New York Times had this absurd article um, called No Sparklers for These Folks. And it kicks it off by talking about how um, uh, talks about this woman, Mala. Ma- Malaya Tapp, who grew up in Arkansas, who used to love celebrating the 4th with her family. But now that she's an adult, she's 18, entering college next year, commemorating the holiday isn't so simple. Started with Black Lives Matter, which caused her to lose a lot of her patriotic feelings. Uh, Now it's hard to tell the difference between guns and fireworks. 
Uh, and fireworks, she points out, are bad for the environment. They release a lot of toxic chemicals. It's very much a controversial holiday now. Then they go to Marissa Vivori, 29, a tech product manager in Manhattan, who writes about how the last time she celebrated the 4th of July, a few summers ago, because she doesn't celebrate it anymore, she was going off to the Hamptons, straight out of central casting, uh, and she sat on the uh, on the most packed Long Island Railroad train ever. The toilet had overflowed on the train. We all had to hold our bags. And she realized at that moment she never loved this holiday. She writes, she tells the New York Times, I remember even as a kid feeling bad for the animals during the fireworks. She also has political qualms with it. Last summer, Roe versus Wade was overturned. And that really made me less inclined to celebrate. The Times adds, even if she wanted to celebrate, she would worry about the message it sent. Oh, goodness. What does the future look like with these people in charge? I'm looking at something that is no fun whatsoever. You never get a moment to celebrate anything. You never get a moment to just simply have fun with your family. And Megan, what that whole story points out for me is a certain lens through which this young woman is looking at the world. And it is really not to her benefit whatsoever. And it's a lens through which I used to look through. And it's one of injustice. Where can I find where things are going wrong? Where can I find where people or animals or the environment is being harmed. And if you're constantly looking at the world through that lens, you will find injustice and racism and white supremacy and patriarchy everywhere you look, because that is the result that you want out of life. That is the way that you are looking at the world. And it sucks because it seems like she got robbed of something, probably partially through her education. She recognizes a time where she used to love the 4th of July, where she used to have reverence for this country. And at some point through I guess talking about this nation's transgressions, she decided that that's no longer the way she felt about that holiday. And she must be reminded that to acknowledge a nation's transgressions is to acknowledge progress out of those transgressions. There's a reason that she's here today to be able to talk about all these political qualms. There's a reason that America is a melting pot. There's a reason we went through all these moments of strife, and it's to be where we are today in order to have these sorts of conversations about our past. So it seems like delusion has, has taken place here. Mm-hmm. I think these people really revel their grief in their grievance. They enjoy it. You know, it's like there's something like the, the same sort of hit people high people get off of like a hit of cocaine or meth or whatever their drug of choice is. That's the same thing these grievance mongers get from leaning into their perceived status as victims. And that brings me to this Washington mystics guard, Natasha Cloud. She's 31 years old, Evita. She received a scholarship to play at the University of Maryland. Then she transferred to play for St. Joseph's University and was drafted into the WNBA. She's a lesbian. She's married to a professional softball player. And instead of being grateful for all of these opportunities that she's gotten in this country, she decided to tweet out, our country is trash. It's trash in so many ways. And instead of using our resources to make it better, we continue to oppress marginalized groups that we've targeted since the beginning of times. Black, brown communities and LGBTQ plus. uh, We are too powerful to still be attacking these issues separately. I'm cleaning up her language here a little bit. It's not written properly. There is power in numbers. Uh, Imagine weaponizing religion. That's America. We're a hateful disappointment. That's the truth. This person who I guess dropped out of the WNBA in uh, during the George Floyd 
protests. She said, I'm not going to participate in the upcoming season. I want to instead focus my energy on helping BLM. I'm making this sacrifice for what I believe in. And then guess what happened? Converse stepped in, promising to cover the entirety of her salary, Uh, her entire salary. Oh, the sacrifice she made to to focus on her goals. Uh, She only put her career on hold for one season. And then she signed a multi-year contract with the Washington Mystics again, where I'm sure she's getting paid well. And her response to all of this opportunity and help from companies like Converse to support her and her in her ability to say how she feels, even if it's extremely negative about the country, is F you, America, you're trash. I hate you. This is what. okay. No one hates on America more than Americans. It's it's been ridiculous. I think there was a song by Toby Keith that came out in 2021 where he's it's called Happy Birthday America, where he says, No one's burning the American flag in the streets more than more than your children, more than Americans. Um, I, I I think that that is such a sad testament to where we are emotionally um, as a country, uh, patriotic, you know, we, th- th- that's been in the tank. Uh, but also just the, the, the privilege that you brought up is so interesting because this is a woman who's had every opportunity given to her um, in the world. And even as she's, you know, taking this sacrificial, a supposedly sacrificial um, step to help BLM. Now she has her full salary paid for by Converse. Um, I also think about Brittany Griner, who, you know, yes. knelt down for the national anthem. And then she gets gets uh, jailed in Russia and the Americans pull through and get her out. And there wasn't much gratitude there or an apology for, for the way that she dissed on the United States and, and our country and our values and who we are after they, they got her out of jail. Let's think about Michelle Obama is someone else who is a very privileged woman of color who, who's been very successful in America as a first lady um, and is saying that she's struggled with all this racism in her life and all these problems. Meanwhile, there are there are a lot of white people in Appalachia who who are much less privileged than Michelle Obama or Barack Obama, who went to an Ivy League school. So there is a lot of disconnect, I think, with in America, a lot of privilege from people who claim to be victims and it is killing our country it is it's it's rotting you from the inside it's a terrible mentality to have to always feel like you're a victim you're never going to feel satisfied in your life feel successful feel feel at peace when you're constantly playing this victim olympics game you know it, it Brittany Griner not only did we go get her back despite her America hating, we traded this Russian arms dealer for her. We had him in custody. We gave him up to make sure she had her freedom. And honestly, like we went back and we got our girl like she's an American. We got her. We did what we need. And still you get comments like this, like from a, a fellow WNBA or America's trash. And this is what led uh, Ennis Cantor freedom. He's been on the show, for, uh, former basketball player, pro pro player um, who now is an American citizen. He writes, just ask your colleague, Brittany Griner, how trash America is. Great point, right? Calling America trash. Let me know when your season's over. I'll buy you a ticket and we can go together to countries like China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba and Turkey. He, he finishes up by saying people have no idea how lucky and blessed they are to be in a country like America. I'm not saying America's perfect, but trust me, you don't want to see the other side. That's exactly right. You know, and, and by the way, Brittany Griner got back, Avita and played in her first, I think, WNBA game. And her coach was like, this is bullshit. The the, the arena's not filled. Where is everybody? Why aren't they? You know what? We did the right thing by Brittany Griner. 
But she refuses to celebrate us. Yes, she's softened on it now. She she's changed her she had a change in heart. She now stands for the national anthem. But forgive us if we're not rushing to stand and applaud her because this person who used to hate our country and cost us an arms dealer who was in, in custody here um, was wrong for most of her professional career and life. So, no, we're glad she's back. We're not going to show up and cheer her. And yet, you know, you've got people who are still feeling entitled, like we're supposed to be clapping for Britney. I guess we're supposed to clap for this person, for this, uh, again, Natasha Cloud. I've never heard of this person uh, when she plays for the Washington Mystics. You know, as we've been saying, it's a no, Amala. It's a no. It absolutely is. And it's, you know, I think we're watching uh, overarchingly the decline of American sports. These sports players all over our country are complaining about the state of America while sitting in one of the most privileged spots that you can possibly be in. When we're talking about these female athletes, I'm reminded of LeBron James, one of the most successful black men in the United States of America, who is constantly crying about his own uh, oppression and the oppression of black Americans in this nation, uh, putting down police officers, even though he's living in, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of, of, uh, you know, real estate here in the United States of America, they all get to enjoy this country from really the the highest of towers. And yet they sit and complain about what uh, exactly. I'm I'm really confused. Yeah. What? And it was. Yeah, it was a personal experience that I went through, too, as a leftist going, you know what, as a black person and as a female, I'm oppressed in this nation, even though I had never really experienced it, even though I enjoyed an abundance of privilege in this nation. You are so convinced by the narrative and you derive such fuel and power and uh, meaning from these sort of narratives of depression, of oppression, that you attach yourself to them regardless of where you go in life, even if you become a multimillionaire successful athlete. But you are such the exception. You you are willing to question your own beliefs. That is exceedingly rare, sadly. And but you were willing to be persuaded by facts, by logic, by alternate arguments if they resonated with you. You know, that's just not true of somebody like LeBron James. I guess he and Michelle Obama as you put, and, and Meghan Markle and Oprah, I guess they're going to get some of Corey Bush's 14 trillion dollars in reparations. Sure. Right. OK, we'll just see about that. All right. Stand by, <laughs> ladies. We'll be right back after this quick, quick break. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. All right, ladies, so there's coke at the White House. (laughs) They actually found cocaine at the Biden White House. 
And somehow it managed not to be the biggest story everywhere in all the mainstream media, though I suspect it would have been different had it been the Trump White House or in fairness, even the Obama White House that would have had tongues wagging. But I guess because Joe Biden is 200, um, we've just decided it's definitely not his. And the the son's a drug addict. So whatever. We don't care. I mean, what? If, there's coke at the White House and they found it in the West Wing in one of the working areas of the West Wing. They originally said the library and that was convenient because they could have said, oh, it was a member of the public. But then they had to admit, no, it was actually found in the West Wing in the working area of the West Wing. Um, I don't know. We all suspect Hunter. Let's be honest. Uh, he was there two days earlier. He was there two days later. Does anybody really believe he's totally clean and sober and you know hasn't had any falls off the wagon? I don't know. But we've gotten precious few details, Amala, out of the White House or the press on this. Ari Fleischer was asking good questions. He was, of course, a former press secretary under President Bush. And he was saying, where? Where in the West Wing? We're entitled to know. Was it in the Situation Room? Was it in the Oval Office? Like, wh where? whose office was it in? We can get more specific and we deserve to to have those specifics on this. Yeah, I would agree with you there and agree with him there. I think they're going to be working, uh, you know, a PR angle on this one, trying to figure out what's the best possible position that they could place this cocaine in, which just blows my mind that we're even talking about this right now. But the way that I'm thinking about it is in order to get into the White House, don't you have to go through very extensive security checks? Aren't they, you know, checking people's pockets? I've heard on the news that it's hard to even get your own personal wallet into the White House, let alone cocaine and who even knows how much. So I'm thinking this would have to be a person who maybe they wouldn't check on or has a certain amount of privilege where they can get through without those checks being made. Hunter Biden, wink, wink. But it's just wild to me that they're not coming out with very direct answers on this. And it just leads me to believe that they need to sort of clean up the edges on this one a little bit, decide who they can implicate in this or if they can get away with, you know, falsifying some story where nobody's implicated, because this is a bad look for this administration, especially with all of the other things that are going on uh, with Biden and Hunter Biden. Well, especially right, exactly, because we just saw him get a slap on the wrist, Evita, for his tax evasion, for his falsified gun application, saying he wasn't an addict when we knew that he was, um, you know, these drug crimes that his father's tried to punish everybody else for. But I guess when it comes to Hunter, we, he gets a pass. Now, this is not to say that this is Hunter's cocaine. That was a joke. We have no idea whose it is. But somebody in the White House had cocaine. And so it'd be great to see him show the same sort of zealot zealous attitude toward the law enforcement toward his own staff or who knows whoever's in that white house as he's shown toward private citizens right and and alarm bells are totally going off in my mind and should be everybody else's that they're not telling us exactly where this cocaine was found uh this has been a a wild ride for the white house i mean like you have but first of all, cocaine found. And then a few weeks ago, you had um, a naked transgenders at an official White House lawn event. And then you have this this Hunter Biden investigation um, and Biden investigation and these IRS whistleblowers implicating the whole family um, in, in in collusion with the with the uh, with the DOJ um, and is their tax crimes and and getting money from from the Ukrainians um, and 
the Chinese businessman. I mean, this is just a wild week um, for for the White House and continuing on for months now. So I, I I think that this is really purposeful that they're not telling us what's going on. This is always what they do. Um, this is what they did with with the with the IRS investigation. Right, right. I'm sorry, the IRS whistleblowers. Right after they came out um, with their testimonies, you had a bunch of media stories. You had the the Russian potential coup that ended up not being a coup. And then you had this submarine uh, explosion that they didn't tell us actually exploded until way later. This is what the media does all the time to cover up for their political allies, and particularly this Biden administration. And it's really disgusting. And I think all of us should be asking, who, where was this cocaine found? Um, who had it? And continue asking these questions, because if we don't hold the White House and the media accountable, they will continue to lie to us and stonewall us um, until they until we hopefully all forget it. Well, let's let's be realistic. There are cameras covering every inch of the White House. I mean, there's no way that there is any public area that is accessible by staff, never mind visitors that they don't have on camera. So this should not be too hard to solve. And we deserve an answer. We deserve to know who was it? Was it some high level policy person who's on drugs inside the White House? Was it a member of the first family? Was it some low level staffer? And how on earth did they get coke into the people's house? I wanted answers to all these things. This, I should point out, just hit from CBS um, saying reports that the illicit drug was allegedly found in a common area storage facility cubby where White House staff and guests regularly store their cell phones. Additionally, a source familiar with the ongoing investigation, so that single source unnamed, said that the substance was found in a small dime sized bag. That's according to NBC News. Now, listen, you really want us to believe that some guest who was forced to store his phone in a cubby took out his dime bag of Coke and shoved it in there right next to his phone? Like, oh, okay, I got to take everything out of my pockets and store. Bullshit. That's not true. That's not how this happened. <laughs> so hopefully we're going to get actual answers here, Amala. But it's like it's back to the old, you know, the press needs to get aggressive on this and actually get us answers, because truly it, there is a possibility that somebody who's important is actually taking drugs inside of our White House while they work on U.S. policy. And we are entitled to know. Oh, I mean, 100 percent. We're entitled to know much of the goings ons within the White House. And it's just unfortunate that I feel we're probably not going to get to the bottom of this. They're very good with, you know, covering their asses and making sure we don't find out what we truly need to know here. And we all know, I mean, let's be honest, there's probably a lot of debauchery that happens within these uh, political circles amongst these officials and these administrators. So I'm, I'm not at all surprised to have heard that there is cocaine. I'm just surprised really about the location of, of the cocaine. I, I, I Imagine if we did a full scale investigation, we'd find a lot more uh, illicit drugs than just that. Well, to, apparently the Secret Service saw it like they were walking through and they saw it like, holy. And then they had a test and it was coke. I mean, I thought I threw a rager on the 4th of July. I had no idea <laughs> what Joe Biden's doing at the White House. Like I, they're next level over there. As far as I know, none of my guests was on drugs. <laughs> we got high the old fashioned way with music and good company. <laughs> um, OK, so speaking of Joe and Hunter Biden and their beautiful relationship, he puts Hunter out in the White House balcony on July 4th. Is it just me or I, I'm offended by that? I don't want to see Hunter Biden on the White House balcony. The guy's a hot mess. He's broken more laws than you know I can count. 
He's given a pass. He just got a sweetheart deal. He's been taking advantage of his dad's relationship to power for the better part of two decades now. And I got to look at this guy standing out there on the White House balcony. I know he loves his son. I'm sick of it. I don't want to look at his face. He's corrupt. He's disgusting. He's a criminal. All right. Hunter Biden is a criminal and has no business being up on that White House balcony. But he loves his son. So we're supposed to just say it's fine, Evita. It's fine. Well, I wonder if the reason that Biden is keeping him so close, because you're right, it is such a bizarre look for the White House to have this criminal son up on public display 24-7. Apparently, he actually even lives at the White House. I wonder if the reason they're doing this, the reason Biden has chosen to, to keep his son at the forefront is because he wants him close by, because he's been such a problem. He needs to keep him under control um, and, and make sure he's got <laughs> eyes on So he's out on the balcony time. celebrating the fourth and he's like, holy shit, where's Hunter? Get him out. He could be down at the White House cubbies again. Get him. Get him up here. Right. I mean, who knows? I mean, th this is a this is a very troubled man who's had a lot of problems in his life and has implicated the entire Biden family in a massive crime scheme. So the it, it makes sense to me why his dad would be like, you know what? I need to keep you close by. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> that's I mean, a new kind of helicopter parenting, if so. Um, here's the other thing, Amalot. They're really tight up there. The Biden family, super tight, super loving, super, super close, unless you were the product of an extramarital relationship with a stripper, in which case you don't exist. So Joe Biden has seven grandchildren, not six. He's got a little granddaughter named Navy, who he refuses to acknowledge. His wife refuses to acknowledge. And the father of that little girl, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, refuses to acknowledge um, I'll just give you a flavor on how Joe Biden talks about his very, very close uh, family, including his six, not seven grandchildren. Sat one. We have we have grandchildren and children. I have six grandchildren and I'm crazy about them. And I speak to them every single day. My oldest granddaughter, her name is Naomi. And number two, her name is Finnegan. And number three, uh, nickname we call her is Maisie, Natalie, and she is a senior in high school, about to graduate. And then I have a grandson who's going to be a senior in high school. And now I have a new, a new baby boy. He's three and a half years old, and he's Bo Biden. So guess what? They're crazy about me <laughs> because I pay so much attention to them. And only them has not even spoken this granddaughter's name, even though um, they say, Amala, that her mother um, has told the little girl who's now four that Hunter Biden is her father and that the president of the United States is her grandfather. She has never met either one of them. Um, again, her name is Navy. Her mother's name is London Roberts, who's 32. And The New York Times went down to its credit, finally, and pro uh, profiled the mother and daughter. Uh, this is, you know, Joe Biden tries to sell himself as the example of father and grandfather extraordinaire. Yeah, it's when I see that video of Hunter Biden on the balcony, I'm thinking you have some other family members that you should be, you know, giving a call to or getting closer to rather than Hunter Biden here. It's very interesting to watch this story unfold. And more so than anything, I just feel sad for this young child, right? If you are a, a four-year-old who knows of your father's existence, knows that your grandfather is the president, and you are living in a, a less than privileged life, as detailed by the New York Times, I believe, you're watching, you know, other kids get the attention 
position and the privilege that you really deserve by virtue of being born uh, the, the daughter of Hunter Biden. So I can imagine that there's a lot of sadness here as, as a young girl watching this. I grew up without a father for much of my life. And that's what a father that I had met that I had spent time with. Imagine never having that opportunity while seeing him on TV, seeing him gallivant around with your, your grandfather and just looking at the life that they are leading while you are here without your, your father or your grandfather. It's just a really devastating story. I'm really in the back of my mind hoping that, you know, she's at a young age right now where this this isn't going to be cemented as some sort of trauma for her. And hopefully they will come together, build some sort of healthy relationship. Although I don't know what sort of healthy relationship you can have with a man like Hunter Biden, who is engaging in this sort of activity, who is mm. hiring prostitutes, who is doing drugs. It's just really a, a who sad, made it sad a story. Deal term when he got pinched by the court to finally pay the paternity, I mean, the, the, the child support that he owes, who made it a deal term that this little girl not use the Biden name. He insisted that she not use the Biden name, even though he is her father and she has every right to do that. I don't know how that wound up being a deal term. He wanted his twenty thousand dollars a month child support payment lowered because he said he doesn't have the money because he's run out of the Chinese and Ukrainian money now, Evita. So they lowered it. And in, in an exchange, he said, OK, well, you can have some of my paintings. So now this mother has to sell some of the Hunter Biden paintings. This, as we're told in strategy meetings, um, aides are being told at the White House that the Bidens have six, not seven grandchildren. And that is the official line as more and more people are wondering whether this is going to get saddled around Joe Biden every time he tries to tout what a wonderful family man he is. And, th and this is what the, the media has actually been enabling this. Finally, The New York Times were right. They did do a profile on it. People magazine did a story just a while ago that said, meet Biden's six grandchildren. He has seven grandchildren. And one of them is Navy Roberts. And she's been denied her her family name. They're so embarrassed of this adorable little girl that they won't even let her use the Biden family name. I think that's such a sad uh, uh, situation and a horrible testament to the kind of people the Bidens are. In 2023 this year for Father's Day, Joe Biden issued the following proclamation. I read it in part. Fathers are critical to raising the next generation and to teaching their daughters and sons about values that matter most. They demonstrate responsible fatherhood and foster healthy perspectives on things like masculinity. He goes on to say, my dad taught me that above all, family is the beginning, middle and end, a lesson I've passed down to my children and grandchildren. You're a fraud, sir. You're a fraud until you admit that you have a seventh grandchild and you teach those very lessons you speak of to your son, Hunter, who's not living any of them with respect to this little girl who deserves better. Amala Evita, stay with us. Quick break. We'll be right back. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. So let's talk a little 2024 politics because something interesting happened over the weekend. And I wonder what you make of this. Um, uh, the top spokesperson for Ron DeSantis's PAC never backed down. His name is Steve Cortez. He used to work on the Trump campaign back in 2016 and then again in 2020. But he's turned. He's gone team DeSantis. 
comes out breaking pretty much one of the cardinal rules of politics, which is don't be honest about how much your candidate is down. <laughs> like, just keep saying optimistic, hopeful, powerful things and do not lean into anything that is negative or that could that could lead the public to perceive you as not doing well uh, or not likely to win. Right. People like to back a winner and then it sort of snowballs into like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So he hosted a Twitter spaces event on Sunday evening and um, offered a pretty glum assessment of DeSantis's current situation. We've got a little bit of that queued up. Let's see. I think it's SOT three. Look, right now in national polling, uh, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit that, okay? I believe in being really blunt and really honest. It's a, it's an uphill battle. I don't think it's an unwinnable battle sure. by any stretch, okay? But clearly, Donald Trump is the is the runaway front runner. We're clearly the underdog in the first four states, which matter tremendously. Polls are a lot tighter. We're clearly still down. We're down double digits. We have work to do. Okay. Then he goes on to say um, that he thought the gap between Trump and DeSantis could be closed. But if we do not prevail, I'll tell you this, we will make President Trump better for having this kind of primary. Then he went on to admit that Trump is a better debater, saying, is Ron the debater that Trump is? No, no, he isn't. Absolutely. Donald Trump is the maestro of it. He's the maestro of it. Right. No doubt about it. When he gets on the debate stage, you know, on his feet in front of a microphone, he debates like Jack Nicholas plays golf. There's no doubt about it. My God. Steve, step away from the microphone. This is not helpful to Team DeSantis. All I could think, Amala, is this is like when your boyfriend or your spouse starts speaking a little too lovingly and wistfully about a prior girlfriend, and you're like, and it needs to end. Okay, enough lovely talk about the ex. You're with me now, sir, Steve. (laughs) Just stop it. So what do you make of it? Somebody needs to coach them on the way that they frame these situations and how you have this conversation without having this conversation. It's no wonder that a lot of people are looking at, you know, Trump versus DeSantis and referring to DeSantis as, you know, junior because he's acting like a junior. His employees are acting like juniors. So that's not really going to work out for him. And it seems like he's been having quite an issue on the campaign trail. I don't know if you saw a recent ad that he put out sort of talking about how, uh, Trump was buddy buddy with the LGBTQ plus community. And his, if Ron DeSantis is elected. It. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest ad and certainly didn't frame him in the best light for, you know, some of the major conversations and controversial issues that people are going to be talking about during this election here. Again, I think the that junior title is reasonable when you're hearing things like this. Hmm. Evita, what do you make of it? Because. I, I appreciate the guy saying, like, I'll give it to you straight. But that's a conversation when you're in his position, you have behind closed doors. You don't you do not put that on your Twitter spaces. You do not do anything that makes your candidate look like anything other than the inevitable winner. Right. And to me, I I was thinking about fundraising. The second I heard about that, I said, you know, you, that's not a way to raise money for a candidate Good is point. to tell them, hey, we're really, really behind. And I don't know if we can win. And 
the opponent is way better at debating. And there's a lot of truth to what to what he said. I, I think he was very, very frank and very honest. And as a voter, I appreciate it. But I think if you're in if you're in the DeSantis camp, you cannot be talking like that because it's going to set him up for failure. I, I think people, you know, I think liberals like to talk about it a lot, but affirmations are actually a big deal. If you if you tell um, yourself and you tell the voters and you tell your donors that your candidate is really far behind and we're not doing so hot, then he's going to continue to not do so hot. Um, I think presidential elections have been turned around. Trump was was polling really low at this at this time um, last year. Or I'm sorry, not last year, last that two cycles ago, and and he he came back. So there's definitely hope for him. I think that this kind of rhetoric is is really going to be detrimental to his campaign. Um, and and I think that that needs to really turn around. He needs to get his camp in check and and really put guidelines around the rhetoric they're allowed to put out if he's going to have yes. a, even a remote chance of being successful. Because he's right. Trump is a very formidable candidate. This is going to be a really difficult race. And that kind of that kind of rhetoric cannot stand anymore. Well, like picture two runners in a, in a race along the track and one is way ahead of the second person behind them. And, and you're the coach for the second person. Do you say like you're really making the one in the lead position better? You know that they're going to be an even stronger runner for the fact that you were on this track and all you out there who want to bet on this race, just continue betting on number two because it's going to really make number one even stronger. I mean, come on, given the position he's in that that he's giving straight political analysis that would be appropriate on a show like this, but is not appropriate for somebody who's on team DeSantis. And it plays into the already existing fear that is held by a lot of DeSantis supporters that there's just no getting around the 800 pound gorilla. It's not like 2016 when the front runner was Jeb Bush. Jeb, with the explanation point, who is never 30 points ahead, never mind 40, which we've seen in some of these polls of the second person or even Donald Trump, who, you know, for some polls was the fifth person in line. Amala. Yeah, he needs to be talking about the fact that he is stronger, that he's going to show up, that he's going to be a younger buck in the race that is going to be capable of competing against Donald Trump. And they should be emphasizing that there's a debate cycle that's going to be coming up and they have multiple debates that Ron DeSantis is going to be able to shine in. Don't emphasize the fact that Donald Trump is a better debater than anybody else. Unless they're trying to lower expectations. Maybe they're trying to lower expectations. And, and that seems to be what the case is here. But if you are going to be a competitor, you should be saying, even if you truly feel that way about your debate skills, you should be l- watching, you know, old tapes of Donald Trump, you know, going through the the replay of it, seeing where can we beat him there? What's a strong angle we can have on this issue? And then say, you know what? You might see Ron DeSantis on the news now and you might not think much of him compared to Donald Trump. But wait till we get to that debate stage. He is going to shine brighter than any other candidate you've ever seen. And he's going to be a formidable foe for Donald Trump. This is the problem with the upcoming debates and and something interesting about them that I just learned from my team. So, you know, that Trump is threatening not to participate in at least that first debate hosted by Fox News at the end of August. And I understand his point. He's, you know, 30 plus points up. He's like, why should I? I don't have to. You know, I don't. What's the point for me, Um, though? It'll be hard to resist. It's just such a huge platform and so on. So we'll see whether he shows up. But but what my team informed me was even Ron DeSantis's team has suggested if Trump doesn't go, DeSantis might not go. Now, I mean, that like I, I can't see that actually happening. It's really not a debate if it's just you know, it doesn't, have, doesn't have the two front runners. Um, but they're all talking about how Trump is an expert in sort of asymmetrical warfare up there, Evita. You know, he's and it's true. You know, I talk, I said this the other week on my show. Chris Christie thinks he's going to get out there with these sharp knives and take down Trump because he knows how to handle him. He sort of said publicly, I'm the only one who knows how to handle him. Well, good luck, because you'll have your best argument 
I was having this conversation with my husband. He'll put out his best substantive argument. He'll say all the stuff he's been saying about Trump. He sat there on January 6th. He watched the protesters. They were defecating all over the, the Capitol. They were hurting police officers. And he sat and he enjoyed it while he ate his Big Mac. And Trump will look at him and be like, you're fat. And then my husband, Doug, said, well, Christie should get ahead of that in his arguments. If that's what he's if was going to happen, he should say, look, he's going to respond to this by saying I'm fat, something ridiculous, off point, ad hominem. But this is who Donald Trump is. And I said, you think that's going to stop Donald Trump? He's going to look at him and he's going to say, uh, you are fat <laughs> and fat people are this or that. What are you like? Trump, wh- he won't care. He, he doesn't play by the same rules as anybody up there. And that to his supporters is part of his appeal, because what do they love about Trump? One of the big things is the entertainment value of Trump. He makes them laugh. He's unpredictable. He is kind of sizzling to watch as a politician, as an entertainer, as a public figure. So it's almost like Trump can't lose. He can't. That, and I think that's exactly why he should not recuse himself from any sort of debate because it's his greatest asset. People love watching him on that debate debate stage, absolutely clobbering all of his opponents. And, and I think to your point, Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis and any and even Vivek Ramaswamy, all of these candidates are won't stand a chance against Trump because even if they have the right talking points, none of them can match this man's energy and his vibrato. He's he is a hundred percent a showman, an entertainer. That's how he he wins over his audiences by by these sort of quick, funny, kind of crass sometimes, really sort of ridiculous attacks um, that that keep the audience laughing and and really not even addressing some of the real issues as kind of his strong suit. He's able to skirt around so many things um, by, by just being an entertainer and by, and by, you know, having these sort of middle school boy type attacks at his opponents. And it's so fun for the audience to watch. It's, it's a great asset for him on the campaign trail. And I also think there's really no one that can compete against him when it comes to a debate stage. A couple of years ago, uh, Amala, I, my husband and I went to see this comedian, Dove Davidson. He was hysterical and he was doing this bit about how Trump communicates. And he's like, you know, he says all the right things, he says all, all the right things, you know, like we're going to we're going to get rid of Obamacare. And then somebody would say, well, what are you going to replace it with? And he says something amazing. It's, why don't I feel that good? You know, when I listen to him, he says, right, but that, I don't feel very good when it's done, when he's done. <laughs> and he's like, he could come home from from the bar. You know, like me and my buds late in the night, 3 a.m. His wife like, where were you? And he's like, somewhere amazing. <laughs> he gets away with it. <laughs> yeah, I always wonder if, you know, they are doing, you know, strict analysis on the things that he's saying, if this is actually a strategic move for him or if he just naturally comes out with this sort of phrasing and that's how he talks to people. I've the seen latter. people break down his speeches. Pro- yeah, probably the latter. He's very much uh, himself when he's on the stage. But I've seen people break down his speeches compared to other candidates and his opponents. And he speaks in layman's terms. He gives it to you straight and he leaves you feeling feeling good. He leaves you feeling like you are on the top of the world, regardless of what he is talking about. And I, I have to think, you know, A, that it comes naturally, but B, that he just really understands what is in people's hearts and how to really attach himself to to good feelings, regardless about uh, regardless of what he's talking about or what the subject is. If there's a problem, he's acknowledging the problem. He's pointing in somebody else's direction and he's going to be the big man who's around to fix it. So for all the DeSantis fans out there or Vivek fans or Tim Scott or Nikki Haley, um, this is what they're up against. I know like they're feeling down because they really don't want Trump 
they don't like Trump or they don't think Trump can win. I've heard that from a lot of people who have voted for Trump, but are just convinced he can't win. Um, This is what they're up against. Trump goes to South Carolina um, just the other day, picking South Carolina, very, very red county, the reddest county in South Carolina. But let's not forget, Nikki Haley was governor of South Carolina. Tim Scott was a senator from South Carolina. So this should technically be their country, their territory. Trump goes and it was it was like a Taylor Swift concert. Forgive me (laughs) to Donald Trump. Um, But this town only has thirty four hundred people. More than 50,000 showed up per the local police chief. It was absolutely insane. Look at this. Look at these crowds who turned out to hear him speak this on top of the fact that the latest polls show the same enthusiasm. If this were just anecdotal, that'd be one thing, but it's not. The polls are reflecting this enthusiasm. Uh, 2024 GOP primary polling among likely voters. That's what we we care about. Don't don't forget. Don't pay attention to registered likely voters. The latest by Echelon Insights. Echelon has an A slash B rating from 538 for what it's worth. They show Trump 33 points up over DeSantis. Trump's at 49. DeSantis is at 16. Flashback, ladies, to just this past January. Um, right. That's what, seven months ago. Trump was at 36. DeSantis was at 34. They were there was a two point difference between the two of them. Then in February, it went up to a 15 point difference in Trump's favor. By March, that was up to 23 points. Donald Trump. This is when he got indicted in New York. And now here we are, um, May, June and into July. And Trump is up 33 points. The more they indict him, the higher his numbers go. But it was I mean, Amala, it's not that long ago where it was a two point race. DeSantis was flying high a couple months post those November midterms in which he crushed down in Florida. Donald Trump was blamed for the GOP not doing as well as it should have in the House, never mind the Senate. And things have completely turned. Why? I think in large part because of those indictments, as I said. And also we've gotten a closer look at DeSantis and people have found him lackluster in some corners. Yeah, there's just nobody who is stacking up to Donald Trump here. And I I find it really hard to believe that there is much optimism. Now what that man said in that Twitter space is making quite a bit of sense after seeing all of these people showing up. It's What's going to happen is there's nobody who's going to be able to match the charisma. There's nobody who's going to be able to match the moxie. There's nobody who's going to be able to shoot straight enough to appeal to the great amount of skepticism that people are feeling towards everything. Our government, our media, elections at large, and Donald Trump is going to come in and, and fill that hole for them. And he's also going to give them a hopeful message, an optimistic message for the future as, you know, a strong sharpshooter who's going to tell it to them straight and make the change here. Ron DeSantis has his track record with Florida to talk about and use to back him, but that doesn't really scale up to what Donald Trump did during his uh, administration and during his presidency in this country. Not to mention the sense of entitlement that a lot of Trump voters feel for seeing him back in the White House. They feel as though they were robbed of that opportunity, that they deserve it a second time around, and that they'll do any sort of rallying and convincing and persuading that they need to do to see him back there. Evita, the um, spokesperson, Steve Cortez of this of the DeSantis PAC, came out and said, and you, you heard it in that soundbite. Yes, he's he's far and away the, the front runner. 
However, in the first four primary states, which matter tremendously, polls are a lot tighter. Um, now, that's true. They're tighter than the national average. And, you know, you, there's been a poll here, or a poll there that show it a little closer. But we pulled the, the, pop, the average of polls in Iowa, South Carolina, New Hampshire, and Nevada. And here's what they show. In Iowa, the average, uh, the average of all polls shows Trump up 32 points over DeSantis. In Iowa, in New Hampshire, Trump's up 28 points. In South Carolina, Trump's up 23 points. This is over DeSantis. In Nevada, Trump's up 30 points. My note next to these four averages reads, my God. I mean, I just, I don't do political advice. You know, that's not my, I don't know how to get people elected or to stop them from getting elected. But I, there has to be a sheer panic with these numbers. They, the Team DeSantis has blanketed Iowa. There isn't a door he hasn't knocked on through one of his um, supporters or, you know, constituents who are there on his behalf. They flooded it with money, the super PAC and others. And the Iowa average has Trump up 32 points higher than in any other state. I mean, those numbers are are so detrimental to the DeSantis team and they're trying to do damage control. But it's really it's not going to work because, like you said, this indictment has enraged the right. This base of, of, of Republican voters have have suddenly said, you know what? I was I like DeSantis. I liked what he did in Florida. But. Trump's my guy now. The deep state is after him. The Biden administration is prosecuting him. I'm I'm all in now, basically to, to, to give a finger to the everybody who's who's come after this man for years. It started with Russia collusion, um, and and now we're, and now this. And I think it's it's just like I said, it's enraged so many people. Um, and, and and this is I, this is what we we've been dealing with for 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 years with Trump, right? The, the Russian collusion hoax was we, we thought maybe we could trust our deep state. Um, maybe we could believe the allegations against him. There's been a lot of polls that come out that said the American people don't believe in the Russia collusion hoax. They don't believe the Hunter Biden laptop scandal was was a, a Russian disinformation, and they don't believe the charges against him now. There's there's a a complete uh, disillusionment with with our current administration. And well, they Trump got to the has, point on the latest charges where it's it's whether they're true or they're not true. They no longer care. It's like we we indulged you for four years. Right. You misled us. You lied. You engaged in a political conspiracy telling us it was just a just investigation. And we're done now. We're done. Right. Absolutely. And I also think that Trump has really transformed the Republican base. I've come from a, a rural town in Wisconsin, sort of similar to the to the place that you talked about, this little town in South Carolina. We, when Trump comes, there are these massive rallies. This is a rural area. There's not a lot of people that live here. And everyone comes to watch Trump because I think he's also transformed the party and brought in voters, working class voters who used to think this isn't my party. I don't identify with George Bush, with with with, you know, some of these other Republican uh, career politicians, but I do identify with Trump and I do like his rhetoric and I do like what he's saying. And those people are coming out of the woodwork to rally around this man in the wake of this political persecution. Amala, do you think it was a mistake for Ron DeSantis to run this time? Because he was, as I point out, just in January, it was tight. It was tight. Like it, there seemed and there still very well may be a clear lane for him. I mean, I don't know what these other indictments that could possibly come down against Trump might do um, for, you know, I don't think any of these trials will necessarily happen before the 2024 election. Um, it's an interesting situation because the two of them that have been brought so far, the case in New York is exceedingly weak, but it's in front of a jury that's likely to convict him. And the case in, um, you know, from Jack Smith, 
um, at the federal level, which will be tried in Florida, in Miami, is rather strong legally, but it's going to be tried in front of a jury that may like Trump. Right. So it's like it it's hard to predict how it's going to go down. But do you think it was a mistake for Ron DeSantis to run this time? Because before he announced, before it was sort of clear he was going to run, which predates the announcement, he was a darling of the Republican Party, absolute darling. And now, of course, as in any presidential race, he's getting dinged up a bit. Yeah, I mean, if we're looking toward indictments and how they pan out as a marker of whether or not Ron DeSantis is going to be on the other (laughs) end of this, then it's probably a sign that he should have maybe waited this one out. I think there was probably nobody on the Republican ticket that would be able to match up to the energy that that Trump has and all for all the different reasons that we're talking about now. And, you know, he he's young, he but he doesn't even really have the youthful energy to match up to what Donald Trump is bringing to the stage. So it might have been within his best interest to maybe create a better relationship with Donald Trump himself, wait out this next uh, election cycle and then see what he could do after that. As I said before, he's got a great track record for for Florida. A lot of people are very proud of what he's done and Republicans love what he has done in Florida, but they do not love uh, stacking him up against Donald Trump. Mm. To me, the thing that bothers me about the whole thing is it does seem like it's going exactly according to the Democrats plan. This is what they wanted. They believe Trump cannot win this time. I know they believe that in 16, too, but they just think he's got too much baggage. He cannot get the addition he needs in those critical swing states in order to get a different result from what happened in 2020, even though that was was very, very tight. But they just don't think that he can do it. There's not there's not enough gettable votes for Trump. And therefore, Trump must be the GOP nominee. And if the indictments help make that happen. Great. If they don't, maybe we'll get him in jail, which is also a nice fallback for us. You know, that's how they're thinking. And it makes me a little suspicious that it's going according to plan. You know, and then I see folks like my friends over the Daily Wire who are definitely much more team DeSantis getting incredibly frustrated. These are honest people who are true conservatives who just think there is no way Trump can win. We're playing into the left's hands and like this, the playbook is going perfectly. If you are Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Evita. Well, I as a as a political commentator, I go on. People ask me Trump or DeSantis, and all the time, I I just say I, I trust the voters. And I there there could be Democrats that are saying you know we're we're, we're trying to make Trump win so that then win the primaries, then they, he can go against Biden and inevitably lose. Um, there, there are you know others who are saying the opposite. I I think that we should trust the Republican base to elect the primary candidate that they really like, and then they'll actually be motivated to go to the polls and vote in the general. I I don't like Mm. when, I, I, I like the Daily Wire, I like what they do. I don't like when they try to tell us what kind of candidate um, the the base should vote for. I think that people are going to decide that for themselves. They're going to weigh their options. They don't need a bunch of, of talking heads telling them what to do. Um, I think, first of all, it doesn't work. And I think it's bad optics. I think they're going to do they're going to vote for who they want to vote for, um, irrespective of what Ben Shapiro says, irrespective of what Paul Ryan says, irrespective of what anybody says, um, they're going to vote for who they want to vote for. And, and in the end, that's going to be the best candidate to beat Joe Biden. Mm big gulf between the actual positions of those two men you just mentioned. <laughs> they may both be in DeSantis's camp, but they're they're not the same at all on, on That's true. And approach <laughs> to politics. But to your point, uh, there's a woman named Katie Ambrose. She's in her 50s uh, at that South Carolina uh, rally that we showed you the, the pictures of. She drove four hours to attend the Trump rally. It's her fifth since 2019. And she said explicitly, if Trump is not the candidate, I won't even go vote. 
um, you know, that there are a lot of people I've been saying this from the beginning. They're not Republicans. They're Trumplicans. And he's the only one who could get them out to vote. And the Republican Party's got to deal with that, too. And if it goes that way and they elect, they, they dominate Donald Trump and he does fail in the general election, then so be it. You know, if that's what the Republican primary voters say they want, then that's what they're that's what they're going to get. You know, it's like whatever that this ball was put into motion back in 2015 and it may just have to snowball to either, you know, the crash and burn of the Republican Party or Trump's return to the White House triumphantly. And maybe another three Supreme Court justices like the ones he gave us, <laughs> which wouldn't be so bad. He was uh, out on the campaign trail this week saying, I want them all. You know, I would like I like seven. Maybe I could maybe I could put seven on the Supreme Court. He's like most presidents maybe get one. I got three. Anyway, um, I want to talk about what's been happening to Moms for Liberty, a group I love. I love I've spoken to them early on in their tenure as an organization down in Florida. And they've only grown and gotten more popular given the state of our country and how just nasty people are towards parents who are trying to speak up against what's happening in the schools. So Moms for Liberty Liberty does not listen to the hateful people attacking them. They continue to organize parents to run moms and others for school board positions so they have a real seat at the table in changing policies that are hurting kids, whether it's the transgender nonsense, sexuality, um, you know, America cop bashing like they're the covid mania, you name it. It's a great group. So they had their second annual convention. They call themselves joy, joyful warriors who do not co-parent with the government. Now they have 285 chapters in 45 states. They self-report a membership of approximately 120,000. And they had their big convention in Philadelphia. Um, and the reaction from the mainstream media has been this is basically the Proud Boys getting together. It's it's a, quote, hate group that has been labeled a hate group, an extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And we're still supposed to believe that that group, Southern Poverty Law Center, should be trusted in any way to decide who's hateful. They're hateful. They hate anyone who's not a far left progressive. But they were cited by NPR, by USA Today, by The Washington Post as the authority in saying Moms for Liberty is an anti-government extremist group. But it wasn't just them. We could go down the list. So what do you make of what's happening to Moms for Liberty and the narrative about them? Oh, well, it's a complete and total witch hunt, as we can tell. As soon as you hear Southern Poverty Law Center, I want everybody to know you should have a red flag up. As a leftist, I used to work uh, in tandem with Southern Poverty Law Center. They put up these huge maps of all the hateful extremist groups that are all across America. And now you have to wonder with this story, how many of those markers on the map are actually groups like Moms for Liberty who are going out as mothers, as daughters, as sisters, and who are advocating for young children, for them to get a better education, for them to be protected, for their innocence to be protected in this country. This is a relatively docile group of women who are coming together to just have this conversation, to be to place themselves in positions of power to make change for their children's lives, and they're being labeled as extremists. It is really reminding me of all the parents who were heading to school boards to talk about the pornography that was in their students' classes, to talk about the issues of gender theory and gender confusion 
being labeled as, you know, extremists and domestic terrorists by the DOJ in that letter that they put out. So it's reframing. They're trying to label everybody who has a dissident opinion as an extremist. And people should, when they hear these words, view them with a strong sense of skepticism. Because to me now, the word domestic terrorist or extremist carries no weight whatsoever because it's being used so often to refer to groups like Moms for Liberty. Amala, just to follow up, because you're with Prager, um, the Salon, which is a far left publication online there, they get specific on why they object to Moms for Liberty. They point out that they invited, quote, anti LGBTQ pundits, Dennis Prager and James Lindsay. <laughs> They're mad that they invited Prager. I mean, I guess I'm a hate group, too, because I've had Prager on the show many times. He's a genius. Oh, my gosh. And there's no need to even put out the disclaimers, but I'll do it anyways. Dennis Prager has multiple gay friends. Uh, He's the godfather to a child of of gay parents. So I don't know how anybody could look at Dennis Prager and label him as somebody who is anti-LGBTQ. But that's what's happening now. If you disagree with one use of their agenda or one use of their uh, opinion or some of the extreme policies that they're trying to push forward, specifically in reference to kids, you are blanketed as an LGBTQ plus extremist who's, you know, anti-trans, anti-lesbian, anti-gay. And I think what they're going to find is a lot of people within the LGBTQ plus community, specifically lesbian, gay and bisexual people are coming forward and saying, wait a second, I listen to Dennis Prager on the radio and he doesn't say anything about my lifestyle or wait a second. I don't agree with some of the stuff you're doing in relation to children and their education. And we need to disband this massive acronym that we've created for no other reason than to lump people together and push a certain agenda. Evita, Southern Poverty Law Center, in discussing why this group is so horrible and hateful, points out former President Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are top billed speakers at the event. (gasps) The horror, the two top front runners for the GOP nomination. And by the way, Nikki Haley showed up there. Um, Maybe Tim Scott, I'm trying to remember. But just being a Republican is enough to get labeled a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which, as I point out, continues to get cited with favor by organizations like the Washington Post. The, the, the veil should have come down on this group long ago. When I was at NBC in 2018, even they said internally, I'm not sure we should be citing them. Not to me. They, they were there's an internal discussion. Um, I'm not sure we should be citing this. Even they were starting to get it back then. But we still have all these mainstream groups holding them up as the final arbiter of who's hateful. Well, forget for, forget the Washington Post. The FBI did it too. They they cited the Southern Poverty Law Center when they did that horrible document labeling traditional Catholics as uh, white supremacists and extremists who need to be surveilled by the government and infiltrated had the church infiltrated by FBI agents. I mean, this is a, a I love what Amala said about the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center. I think that they are a ridiculous organization uh, used by the left. Um, in the media and also in our government to demonize regular Americans who stand in opposition to leftist politics. This is exactly what all of this is about. And I saw this on college campuses too, right? This is this is the leftist playbook. If you say anything that they don't like, they say you're a racist, you're transphobic, you're homophobic. Um, and they do that to control you because if they can label you with this word and they can make you feel bad, then you start to self-censor, to self-censor and you, you start to... to 
abide by the framework that they want you to. And the Moms for Liberty is a wonderful organization. I've, I've worked with them at the Federalist, interviewed them, reported on their work. They are a wonderful group of women who said, you know what? We're not going to co-parent with the government. We are going to take back control of our children's educations and really their minds, because this is what these schools have become is indoctrination machines with, with CRT, with these LGBTQ books, with teachers putting in um, this, this uh, learning system where they're, they're, they're doing LGBTQ uh, awareness in math and science and infiltrating it into all parts of, of, of education. This is what these moms are opposing. This is very reasonable. These were things that as a country, um, we never would have stood for even a decade ago when I was in elementary school, these things were existing. So this is a, a visceral reaction from moms and dads saying, you know what, we're not going to let our kids um, be indoctrinated in this way. And I think that is a direct opposition to the left and their plan to to change the the the, the future generations and that's why that they're labeling them with these ridiculous yeah. terms white supremacists it's just so crazy it's very threatening to them i i thank god for moms for liberty um i i believe in their mission they've been successful i completely agree that the fight is at the local level get on the school boards make a difference there it's very hard to do it from a top down you got to be right in on the ground floor and I've looked at them many times and thought, good for them, because as much as I agree with them ideologically, I'm not an organizer. It takes a lot to actually organize people and, and get the troops out there to fight the good fight and get the school board changed and all that. And like, that's overwhelming. And I think a lot of a lot of mo I mean, moms in general are busy. <laughs> they, they have these little people who really need to take up most of their time. Never mind working moms who have another added layer on top of it. And these women are making it happen. So they're tough. They can handle this. Literally, I heard horrible stories down there about people smearing feces on the front doors of these women when they started to f speak out about some of these issues, like during the COVID lockouts. They're tough. They can take the Southern Poverty Law Center's ridiculous labels any day of the week. Keep going, ladies. Keep going. We got your back. Stand by. When we come back, we have an update for you on Bud Light's latest effort to save its brand. Wait until you see their latest ad. Swing into Seaside Golf in Ocean City, Maryland. Play like a pro at 17 championship courses designed by golf legends like Jack Nicholas and Arthur Hills. Tee off on sweeping vistas at Eagles Landing. Savor the coastal views of Lighthouse Sound. Or see why Ocean City Golf Club is considered one of the Mid-Atlantic's finest fairways. Whether you're sneaking in a quick round on a family vacation or going all in on a golf getaway, fun is always in play at Ocean City, Maryland. Plan your trip at ococean.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So Bud Light continues to scramble. They're such a hot mess. They don't know what to do. My God, the numbers are just dreadful. Now the sales are down nearly 30%, down almost 50% from its sales a year ago. OMG, they've lost half of their business in one year, thanks to their partnership with Dylan Mulvaney, about which they have apparently been lying from the start, because while their CEO wanted us to believe it was one can, one can to one person, one can, and then they released through underlings through the press anonymously, oh, it's just some small, no-name staffer who sent that beer can not authorized. We now know that's not true. They fired the head of marketing. They hired the woman who works directly under him, who was behind the campaign. Um, 
And now we've had Dylan Mulvaney come out explicitly and say it was a paid partnership. So, okay, Um, it was more than they admitted. Now, we saw right after the controversy, they released the horses ad back to the horses and the two sort of country looking guys standing on the front porch, America. Yeah, we get it. Don't worry. We don't think you're fratty. We love you. Didn't work. Not without an apology and an acknowledgement of how they had misstepped. And here is the latest effort to capture the soul of American beer drinkers. Watch this ad. Okay, it's large men grunting as they sit down and it ends with the slogan Bud Light, easy to drink, easy to enjoy. I guess it's hard to sit when you're a fat American man. That's how back to the we love fratty. Okay, well, I don't know what this is, what's trying to telegraph, but I think it's we do love fatty, fatty, fratty (laughs) American men. And we're there for you because our beer is super easy to drink. That is unless you care about being humiliated because you will be if you drink one publicly right now. Uh, Evita, what do you think? Is this going to get it done? They what we what they really need to fix this whole brand is to apologize to their consumers. And they refuse to do that. I think it was last week that their CEO was on MSNBC and said um, that he wouldn't take back the, the campaign with Dylan Mulvaney. This is this is such terrible marketing for their case. So they're right, they, they fired the marketer, but they they haven't apologize to the consumers and they're not going to do it because they'll get punished by the ESG. So the the human rights campaign has something called the corporate equality index, which ranks um, how pro or anti LGBTQ you are. And part of why I think that they did this partnership with Dylan Mulvaney was to boost their corporate equality index. Well, when they didn't defend Dylan Mulvaney and Dylan Mulvaney actually came out and said, you're not defending me enough, their, their numbers tanked and they gave a bunch of money to LGBTQ groups. And the point of me saying this is that we really don't have the power of the purse because the real controllers of Bud Light and a lot of these other companies are the ESGs, are things like the Corporate Equality Index. And and really, we're not going to get that power back. A couple of months of boycotting really isn't going to do that much until Mm. there's a way to address these ESGs. I don't know. I don't know. I think this is the consumer telling them, we're your ESG score now. You will listen to us or you will go out of business. I mean, it's getting Anheuser-Busch is is a huge company, but Bud Light is it's on its last legs. I mean, it has been seriously targeted down 50 percent is no small deal. There was a report just out that a glass bottling company called the R-Dog Group, one of the world's largest glass producers, announced last week it was shuttering its Wilson, North Carolina and Simsboro, Louisiana plants, um, saying they, they didn't cite a reason for the disclosures or for the closures. But WRAL found that R-Dog was forced to close due to the declining sales of Bud Light, its major contractor, or at least one of its major contractors. Uh, They reported that by May 18th, according to an internal memo obtained by the news station, company executives there at Ardoss said they would shut down the two plants, quote, due to slow sales with Anheuser InBev, the parent company of Budweiser and Bud Light. All look, I don't know that this is save it, but this man's just floundering as he tries to avoid addressing directly what they did isn't working. He either needs to be fired, the CEO, or he needs to do a full fledged 
mea culpa. He, I, he should come on this show. He should release a TikTok, whatever, however he wants to do it and let himself get beaten up a bit rhetorically. Take the L and explain that he really does get it. But right now we have zero reason to believe he's sorry or he understands why we're still mad, Amala. Yeah, this is an interesting mark on this brand that I don't think is going to be uh, to leave anytime soon. They tweeted out a 4th of July tweet saying it's the 4th of July. Enjoy some beer with a Bud Light image. And they got tens of thousands of responses from people who say they will never drink this beer ever again. I do want to point out that, of course, they're they're stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? If they come out and apologize for having uh, entered this sponsorship agreement with Dylan Mulvaney, then suddenly they are anti-LGBTQ, as uh, Avita said earlier. I'm not sure how that necessarily affects their ESG score, but it certainly is going to set a woke mob of leftists after them and after their brand. What they forgot was that their main consumer base, however, is not that woke mob of leftists. They're not the ones who are sitting on Saturday night and cracking open a a can of Bud Light. And as soon as they lost the mark on who their real consumers are, they lost the the whole bag in this uh, marketing campaign. So I'm not sure that even an apology at this point, after all the back and forth they've had, after all the skirting the issue that they've done, is going to bring back this brand. I think this is one that's going to be a to be laid in the ground. You know, take a stand, say what you actually feel and what you actually stand for. Don't run from the LGBTQ mob. Uh, I think the LGBTQ mob, certainly the LG and B can understand if you come out and say it was a mistake, that was a very controversial person who many women feel is mocking them in their approach to social media and otherwise. They feel offended by his calling himself a girl and prancing around in little girls clothing and declaring himself a woman after one day. Right there, I, I hear it. I get it. People are offended by this particular person's approach to the entire trans issue. I really don't think that even the LGBTQ crowd, maybe the T crowd, but the rest of them would condemn Bud Light wholeheartedly for something that acknowledged that. But if they don't have the balls to do it, he's too afraid. And if he really wants to be like those two American ranchers he showed in that initial ad after the controversy broke, then he needs to get a whole lot tougher because those guys are out there doing really hard work with their hands every day, dealing with cattle, dealing with horses, dealing with freezing cold conditions, night and day, crack of dawn. And they don't care what people have to say about it. They don't care about social media. They have a mission and they will pursue it. And everybody else can be damned. And this guy's got to understand if he wants that to remain his customer base, he needs to speak to them honestly. He needs to reflect their concerns. He doesn't get it. He's not going to get it. He should be fired. That's that's it. He should be fired. Um, so goodbye to Bud Light. In the time we have left, I have to talk about what's happened in Philadelphia. There was yet another shooting uh, over the holiday weekend. I'm trying to get the exact statistics here so I don't say the wrong thing. Hold on. Let me find it. What page is this on? I just had it, but of course I, I lost it. Um, five dead. And the shooter in this particular case is said to have been a cross dresser. Uh, That's as much as we know about this person, that they're a cross dresser Um, and they are both pro Trump and pro BLM, according to the writings that you read of this person's online. Um, The police are not officially saying his name. Much of the media is not saying his name at all. I don't say the names of 
mass shooters on my show for very good reasons that I've explained many times. But it's weird that nobody's saying it. And it leads me to wonder whether there's some sort of protection going on in this particular person who is a man with breasts from that picture and dresses like a woman. Um, the police are calling him they uh, in the in the initial statements. And it does make me wonder because I first heard about this on NPR's Upfront podcast this morning. And the way they wrote about this particular shooting was about, oh, there was another mass shooting. Uh, I think it's three dead in Fort Worth. There was this mass shooting in Philadelphia, five dead. And this is about gun violence in America. There are too many guns. What are we going to do to stop the guns, the guns, the guns? They did not mention the fact that this person has obviously some gender confusion. And this is one of a series now we've seen of people in the trans community committing mass acts of violence, which I guess we're supposed to ignore the trans ideology and identity as having nothing to do with it. Um, However, I look at pieces like this one from David Strom in Hot Air that says, look, being transgender doesn't necessarily make you violent. But he writes, I also think it's not a coincidence that a number of mass shootings lately have been carried out by transgender identifying people. Alphabet ideology radicalizes people and convinces them that they are hated by and under constant threat from the larger society going on. Unfortunately, a volatile combination has been creating created, putting people with obvious mental instability in the middle of a culture war battle and nothing good can come from this. Now, we don't know what caused this particular person to snap. Evita, but th- when they're trans, it doesn't get mentioned at all. I mean, it gets buried by the mainstream media. Absolutely. And we, Amala and I were on air with you the last, when, we, when the Tennessee shooter yep. story broke, that was an awful situation. We still haven't seen the manifesto. We have to be talking about the reasons behind these shootings. And the Democrats, they always say, guns, guns, guns. And we, we that's what the entire conversation is always centered around. And there are so many other factors that come into play here. I mean, there is violence normalized and, and dehumanization normalized in video games and violent uh, movies and, and, and TV shows. You also have a, a massive mental health problem, especially among Gen Z um, people. We, we, this is the, the most mentally ill generation to date. That has to be taken into consideration. And then you have all of these um, prescription drugs over over prescribing. You have people with gender dysphoria, like the, the person that you quoted before, a, a an ideology that's telling you that you're hated by the whole world. These are things that we need to be thinking about. The Columbine shooter, one, one of them was on antidepressant drugs that cause suicidal and homicidal ideation that we ha- we cannot be ignoring these important factors that come into these mass shootings if we're actually serious about stopping them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's happening over and over, Amala. And I do wonder when is the left going to say, all right, let's be honest about the fact that it is growing in numbers and there might be a reason behind that that we're going to have to get real clear on. I just I don't see them doing that. But how many more have to die before we actually take a look at the messaging and the mental instability of, of obviously a portion of this community. Right. I mean, those are two very good questions. I don't think that they are going to be honest about it because it in no way serves their agenda. If they want to push forward what they're doing right now in children's education with gender confusion and gender theory, if they want to push forward some of the uh, legislation in regard to 
medical transitioning and blind affirmation gender care. That's not going to work if these stories continue to come out. So as long as they are pushing that agenda and they haven't met their goals there, these stories are going to continue to be hushed. It was really hard in in looking into these stories to even find out that this individual was African-American responsible for the shooting. And it's all because it does not fit their certain agenda. Now, they'll say they're worried about more hate being pushed towards trans people if the real story comes out. But what actually creates hate is a lack of transparency. If you are not honest about these things and people's skepticism leads them to find out that this was a cross-dressing male, guess what that is going to create? More hate towards the trans community, more hate towards gender ideology and gender theory. You need to be transparent in these cases and tell it to people straight so that they can make decisions for themselves. Yes, well said. And to your point, Evita, it's been three months since that shooting uh, in Tennessee, in Nashville, three months, and the manifesto has still not been shared. I will say that even the parents of the victims in that case are fighting its disclosure. But, you know, with all due respect to them, they don't have the final say on it. It's a matter of public safety. Uh, and I do I do believe that we deserve to know and it should be treated responsibly by the press. But we we have a right to know. Ladies, thank you both so much for being here. Really appreciate it. All the best to you. And we will be back tomorrow with Charlie Kirk. Looking forward to that conversation. He's always interesting to talk to. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Swing into Seaside Golf in Ocean City, Maryland. Play like a pro at 17 championship courses designed by golf legends like Jack Nicklaus and Arthur Hills. Tee off on sweeping vistas at Eagle's Landing. Savor the coastal views of Lighthouse Sound. Or see why Ocean City Golf Club is considered one of the Mid-Atlantic's finest fairways. Whether you're sneaking in a quick round on a family vacation or going all in on a golf getaway, fun is always in play at Ocean City, Maryland. Plan your trip at OCOcean.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.